In a minute, we're going to read from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So you might just want to flick open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, I want to say a few things first, though, uh, before we pray and get into it. Um, If you're here for the first time this morning, um, we don't usually uh, preach on giving. Um, So we're not one of those churches that, you know, every second week preach on giving. Um, This is not something that we that we preach on a lot. Um, I actually think it's something that we should be preaching on more. Uh, and uh, I shared my heart with a, with a core team and uh, before you knew it, bang, I was preaching on giving. Um, I've been on two, I've been on, a, I think, about a two-year sabbatical from preaching. Um, and, uh, and the first time I'm back in the pulpit, what do they give me? They give me uh, giving to preach on. Um, so, no, look, I'm excited about that. Um, at the same time, I can see God's sovereignty in all this because... It's, it's a long weekend in Sydney, and a long weekend in Sydney means that uh, usually half the church is out up and down the coast. So this will probably, in God's grace, lessen the impact in the church by having me preach for the first time in two years on a long weekend in Sydney. Um, as I said, it's been two years, so uh, please forgive me if I'm a little rusty. It's sort of like when you, um, you, know, when you haven't run for a long time. Uh, you, you get out for the first time and your knees clicking and your ankles are clicking. You know, you feel the tendons in your, in your, um, all over your body and your legs especially just are tight. It feels like you're, you're running with a small baby on your back. Um, it's, uh, you know, you're suddenly twice as heavy as you were. Um, that's what it sort of feels like when you, when you haven't preached in a while. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good place to be in um, because God's power is made perfect in weakness. And to be honest with you, I, I feel pretty darn weak right now. Um, so I'm expecting God to, to work more powerfully through me uh, because I really am weak, um, particularly when it comes to preaching. So thank you in advance um, for your patience with me. Um, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that um, even though we are weak, you are strong. Thank you that, that your strength, your power... Is, uh, is actually perfected when your messengers are weak. And Lord God, I, I feel weak right now. Um, apart from you, I can do nothing. Uh, I can't even turn up to work in the morning, Lord. I, ca- I can't even go to sleep at night. I can't eat, I can't drink, let alone preach your word to these people that I love, to this church that I love. So Lord, please work powerfully through me, but most importantly, work through your word, Lord. May the truth of your word permeate the hearts of the people in this church this morning for your glory. Not anyone else's glory, but for your glory. Amen. Well, the title of today's message is The Grace of Christian Giving. The Grace of Christian Giving. And I want to say from the, from the front, um, straight up, that um, this, this is by no means a, uh, a corrective message. Okay, I think this church... Uh, even though we're young, we're only two, just over two years old, this church excels in giving. Uh, it really does. So this is in no way a corrective message. This, I'm not rebuking anyone. My heart to, to see uh, more preaching on giving has more to do with how I think God can use this church um, for decades down the track uh, in this country to see the gospel go forward through church planting. That's really my heart. I think we have a We've a, we've a, we're privileged here. We've been blessed with a lot um, in this church, particularly in this part of Sydney. And, um, and God, will, 
God will ask us to, to use that, to steward our resources wisely for the future. And, and as you may know, we have a vision, um, you know, as a core team, especially as Dave is our, as our lead pastor, to, to see many churches planted out of this church. Um, that's our heart. If it happens, praise God. If it doesn't, that's all right as well. But that's our heart. That's our vision at this point in our young history. Um, but to do that, we're going to need to be a very generous church um, who give sacrificially. Um, I'm so aware of that. I have a burden for that. Um, so that's, that's why I'm preaching on this this morning. Um, so I just want you to know that from the get-go. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever been the recipient of, of Christian giving yourself? Have you ever been a recipient of it? Just have a, have a think for a few seconds of what, what the circumstances were like and, and more, more importantly, what that felt like. What that felt like to be the recipient of generous Christian giving. It's a, it's a sweet experience, isn't it? There, there is nothing quite like it. It's, 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 um, it's out of this world. It, uh, it doesn't feel right. Um, it, it, it almost feels wrong. It, uh, it almost feels naughty. But, um, but it's, a, it's a sweet experience. Probably one memory that sticks in my head, I mean, I've been the recipient of much Christian giving, uh, been in, in ministry for, for five years uh, in, in my 20s. Um, I, I really relied on a lot of, um, a lot of generous Christians to, to do what I did for five years. Um, but the, I remember this one point in, um, this one experience um, was just so sweet and just stays in my mind. Um, I'd, I'd just come back from my first ever visit to Sovereign Grace in the US, um, whilst over there at Covenant Life Church, um, which was a founding church um, of Sovereign Grace Ministries, established about 30 years ago. Um, they offered me a, um, the senior pastor there, Josh Harris, offered me an unpaid internship. Um, and he said, look, um, I'd love to have you come on as an unpaid intern. Um, how soon can you get back? And I'm thinking, well, probably about six weeks. Um, didn't factor in at all the fact that I didn't really have any money because I was doing what's called MTS at that time in, a, in another church, ministry training strategy, and you don't get paid a lot of money in that. So I'd spent pretty much all my savings um, to pay for the two and a half grand airfare to get over there to spend two weeks um, with this, this wonderful family at church. It's called Sovereign Grace Ministries that, that the Lord had just put on my heart. Um, and so I'm back in, in, in my other church, my home church that I also love dearly. Um, and um, and I, I just informed folks that, that I was going to be leaving in a few weeks' time uh, and, and travelling over to the US for, for who, knew, who knew how long um, to spend time with uh, Covenant Life and Sovereign Grace Ministries. Um, and right at the end of the service, a sweet sister um, who was sitting in front of me uh, turned around and said, hey, hey, Mike, do you have any financial needs right now? Um, and, and I and it takes, I think it takes a degree of humility to admit, and it's something I struggled with at the time, to admit that you did. And I said, you know what? You know what? Yes, I, I actually do. And she's like, what, what are they? I said, well, as you know, I'm looking at going back to, to Sovereign Grace in you know, four weeks' time. And to be honest, I, real, I just realized I, I don't even have the money. I don't even have another two and a half grand for the airfare to go back over there. Um, and she said, well, I'd love to, I'd love to help you out. Um, give me... Um, Give me your bank account details, um, and um, and I want to transfer some money during the week. And she she went on to say, she said, look, I, you know, this is a, this is a university student, all right. Um, now, if you're a university student here, you know that you don't make a lot of money um, in, in that season of your life. So she's probably working um, 
you know, some crappy little job uh, on the side. I don't know, I can't remember exactly what she did, but, you know, full-time study, trying to get some, you know, do some work on the side and some sort of job that she probably doesn't even like. Um, and, uh, and she saved up all this money and she said, she said, Michael, you know, I, I actually got a scholarship for, this, for my final year at university. Um, and I was going to pay my, my, my fee up front, but now I don't need to um, because it's scholarship. So I had this money left over and I, I, I want to bless you. Um, and, um, and so I gave her my bank account details. And then later on that next week, um, I noticed that $2,300 was transferred over to my account. Now, that might not seem like a lot of money to some people, but you know, from a university student, you know, a 22-year-old university student who probably took six months, you know what I'm saying? Six months to save that sort of cash in her situation. That was abundant generosity. That was huge. So it's just a, it's a sweet, sweet experience to be the beneficiary of Christian giving. Um, you may not be aware, but you guys too have been the recipients and are currently the recipients um, of sweet Christian generosity. Uh, this church plant was funded by Sovereign Grace Ministries. Um, we received, I think it was over a quarter of a million US dollars spread out over, over three years to see this church planted. That's a huge amount of money. There, there are believers in other Sovereign Grace churches in the states of Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, um, Florida, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, New York State, Arizona, California, Wales, Germany, and many other countries around the world who have been, some of those believers have been giving for three decades of Sovereign Grace Ministries to see the gospel go forward through church planting. And you, you guys, us as a church, we're the recipients of abundant generosity of believers who have given sacrificially from some of these Sovereign Grace churches who you will never meet and you have never met. And you might not meet until you're in heaven. Um, selfless giving. We have been the recipients as a local church of selfless generosity. And you know what? One day we want to do the same. You know what I'm saying? We want to do the same. We want to, we want to emulate the example of other brothers and sisters within Sovereign Grace Ministries who have given so sacrificially to strangers to see the gospel go forward in this city through this church. We want to do the same. Um, that's, that's my heart and I'm sure it's your heart as well. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are two chapters that, that focus exclusively um, on financial Christian giving. Uh, in a minute, we're just going to read uh, verses probably 1 to 15, um, even 1 to 9 um, of, chapters, of chapter 8. We can't read through the whole um, section of Scripture right now, and I'm not going to preach on the whole section of Scripture. I'm going to focus primarily on these first nine verses of chapter 1. But just to give you a quick overview... Um, 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. False teachers had claimed, who had claimed to be apostles, to have authority of apostles, had infiltrated this church, the ranks of this church, and were promoting their own claims and authority, and had gone out, out of their way to discredit the Apostle Paul. They discredited his, his uh, authority, his apostolic calling, his leadership, um, his motives. And this letter was written by Paul with the purpose of refuting these accusations against him in order to protect this church that he loved. Um, that he helped plant um, in order to preserve uh, the gospel and, and sound doctrine within their midst. Uh, and then there's a unifying theme that travels through the entirety of 2 Corinthians. And this is important because you'll see it in play in these first few verses of, 
of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. And that, that unifying theme that travels throughout is simply this, strength through weakness. Remember that, strength through weakness. Throughout this letter, Paul boasts in his weaknesses because his weaknesses serve to highlight the grace of God and the power of God precisely because it is so, because when he is weak, God works most powerfully through him. You see, this letter, it drives home the startling paradox that human weakness and divine strength somehow amazingly go hand in hand. God working powerfully through human weakness only serves to highlight the triumph of divine grace and power. Let me just say as a side note, if you struggle with self-sufficiency, this, you've got to read this letter. You've got to read this letter. This letter will, will hopefully, by the grace of God, put self-sufficiency to, to death and show you how important it is and how good it is and how rich it is to be weak. One, as I've mentioned, one important topic that Paul addresses in chapters 8 and 9 is, is giving, Christian giving. Um, and specifically, it's a financial collection to support uh, the poor and struggling believers in Jerusalem. You see, the believers in Jerusalem, um, from where the gospel first started at Pentecost and went out from there um, into amongst all the surrounding areas, um, the, Christian, the Christians in Jerusalem were struggling, uh, struggling with a severe famine that had hit the land. And they were in severe financial hardship. Um, and giving, giving towards these Christians was something that, that the Corinthians had started doing a year or so ago. Um, they'd started collecting for these, for these beloved believers who had helped them start their church. Um, but something had happened. They, they'd stopped that giving. Uh, most likely, we think, uh, because of the influence of some of these super apostles, so-called super apostles in the midst, who were trying to divert those funds uh, to, their own, to their own desires, their own selfish desires. So in chap- what we have in chapter 8 and 9 is Paul writing to the Corinthians, specifically encouraging them to finish what they started. And he does this by pointing them, first and foremost, to the divine grace at work in the midst of the Macedonian churches. And then in verse 9, he, he points them to the example of the ultimate giver, the ultimate act of generosity, Jesus Christ. So let's have a quick read of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1 to 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. When you walk out of this hall this afternoon, more than anything else, I hope that you go away with this. Free sacrificial giving flows from divine grace. If you don't remember anything else this morning from this message, and there's a chance that you may not, probably more to do with me than yourselves, remember this, that free sacrificial giving flows from divine grace. And I have three points. Giving is free, giving is a response, and giving is sacrificial. Giving is free, response, and sacrificial. So firstly, giving is free. You know, there's nothing worse um, than being forced to do something. I don't know what you're like, but uh, my personality is the sort of personality that if you force me to, to do something, I'm just going like, to kick I'm going to kick out against it. Um, probably the best example I can think of is when I was living in the United States. Um, and in the United States, particularly on the East Coast, and I'm going to generalize a little bit here, um, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, it's, it's a pretty conservative like, sense, of, sense of dress, right? Um, particularly amongst Christian circles. Like, you've got guys like, um, you know, when I was at Pastors College, you've got guys turning up you know, with their with the shirts, button-up shirts, tucked into their jeans, with the belt way up high. Uh, you know, they're wearing chinos, these big, fat, sort of leather shoes. Um, a lot of them got their, like, mobile phone clipped onto their belt as well. And I love some of those dear brothers. I really do. Some of those guys are closest guys, uh, closest friends I've ever had in my life. But, man, they look dorky. Um, <laughs> and they looked at me. You know, I'm coming from Sydney. So I, I turn up. You know, I'm in my late 20s. I'm wearing my, my faded jeans because that was in at the time. You know, I'm wearing my white Haviana, um, Haviana I can't even say it properly, Haviana uh, flip-flops, uh, thongs, also known as here. Um, sometimes I get confused with what country I'm in. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm wearing like a V-neck, a deep V-neck. And these guys are laughing at me, you know, and they're making comments like, um, you, know, you know, Paso's turned up and his wife's clothing again this morning. And I'm thinking, you guys got no idea, you know, like, you just really don't. The, jo- the joke's on you. It's not me. But, you know, so I, you know, and how I respond to that, I hate being conformed. Um, I hate being pressured into doing something. So I'm not going to turn up like them. And so I just started, I started dressing like I was going to the Monabal Beach on a Saturday afternoon, you know what I mean? I'm like, quick silver hat on. I was thinking even one point I came in a singlet, you know, I got my thongs on, shorts on. And we're talking like, some of this was like, you know, close to winter in the US. But that's my personality. I kick against it. Um, but thankfully, when it comes to giving, God, God feels the same way. He loves a cheerful giver, opposed to a resentful giver, opposed to a bitter giver, um, a, a, even a twisted giver. Verse 7 of chapter 9 says, Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, for givers to be cheerful in their giving, they have to be free from compulsion, uh, coercion, uh, or pressure, or manipulation. In verses 3 and 4 that we just read in chapter 8, Um, we find out that the Macedonian church gave so abundantly and with such joy, but did you notice on their own accord? Literally begging Paul to take part in the giving, but 
all of their own accord. And Paul, Paul goes out of his way um, to remind them that, um, that he's not commanding them to give. Sure, he, he wants to see them excel in giving. He, he's unashamedly, he, he said that unashamedly in verse 7. He says, don't, not just, don't, I don't want you to see you just excel in faith and speech and knowledge, but I want you to excel in giving as well. But then he goes out of his way to say, but this is not a command. He's not commanding them to give. And did you know there's, there's not a single passage of Scripture in the New Testament that commands you or I to give a certain amount of money? We're encouraged to give, absolutely. But there's nothing in the New Testament that says we should give a certain amount of money. And to be honest, that makes my job a little bit harder this morning because I would have loved to just like found some verse and just lay the smack down on you guys. You know what I mean? Like the Bible says this, so you must give this X amount, done, make a few remarks, go home. That's it. End of story. But that's not the case. There's no verse in the New Testament that I could find. However, in the Old Testament, I did find, find a few. Listen to this. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 to 32. Every type of land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. And every tenth animal of all that pass under, under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. Uh, a tithe literally means 10%. Okay? And, but along with this offering... There was also two other Old Testament tithes found in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22, 28, 29. Look that up another time. Um, but if you add all these tithes, uh, plural, not just tithe, all these tithes, uh, plural, together, they come, I did a bit of mass. They come to... Actually, I didn't do the mass. It came to... But I read someone else who did the mass. It came to, uh, they came to approximately 23% annually for the Israelites. That was, under the, that was under law. That was under the old covenant. There's no way out of it. If you wanted to obey the law in Israel, you had to give 23% of your gross. That's what first, uh, first fruits means, gross. You had to give 23% gross income to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon, there's, I reckon there's other folks in this church, just like me, who probably for years, and this is my situation, have been going off the general, two, general sorry, 10%, sort of rule of thumb, right? That general sort of 10% as a yardstick as to how much I should give. Um, and over the years, you know, sometimes it's been a little bit below 10%, or, you know, started off being a heck of a lot low, below 10%. Um, and then over the years, sometimes it's been a little bit above 10%, but I've sort of used um, 10% as a bit of a yardstick. But let me tell you, if you want to, like, if you want to accurately use the Old Testament tithing system as your yardstick for giving today under the New Covenant, um, you should be doing your, you should be crunching your, your numbers on 23%, not 10%. Use 23% as your yardstick if you're, if you're set on, on using the Old Testament tithing system uh, in that way to work out your, your giving now. But here's the good news. We're not under that law anymore, okay? So don't get me wrong. Don't, you know, don't leave today and complain to Dave that um, Pastor is telling us that we must give 23%. It's not what I'm saying at all. Okay, we're not under law any longer, praise God. We're under the new covenant. Um, in the New Testament, there is no requirement whatsoever to give 23% or even 10%. Uh, we're under grace. Our giving should be grace-motivated. You see, we need to be careful not to confuse Old Testament tithing system, all right, with, the, with New Testament giving. 23% was enforced in Israel under the, under the law. However, New Testament tithing is concerned more about the heart attitude than the percentage that we give. Heart attitude is what God cares about. 
under the new covenant, under grace, rather than a certain amount of money. Chapter 9, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians says, Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. He just does. I don't know why, he just does. God loves a cheerful giver. You see, free and cheerful giving is God's plan for us under the new covenant. So that was point one. Secondly, giving is a response. Giving is a response. Free and sacrificial giving flows from none other than divine grace. You see, you and I, we don't have a generous bone in our body. Don't fool yourself. Don't think that there's, there's some generosity deep down in your heart and it's just a natural thing to do. It is not, it is not natural for human beings to be generous. If you don't believe me, read uh, Romans chapter 1, 2 and 3. Um, or how about Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9? For the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately ill. Who can understand it? You know, that's, that's what the Bible says is our, is our real uh, situation. That's, that's our real heart, apart from the grace of God in our lives. We wouldn't be able to give anything. See, Paul draws our attention straight away, right off the bat, to the grace of God operating in the midst of this Macedonian church. Listen up again to verse 1. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. You see, he's not saying, Corinthian church, I want you to know about the superior character quality of, of these Macedonian believers because, you know, you're not, you're not a great example right now, but these guys are. Um, I want you to know about their, their superior character quality because it, it way outstrips your character quality. He's saying, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. The emphasis isn't on the Macedonians and their character quality. The emphasis is fair and square on the grace of God. You've got to see that. It's a grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. You see, the Macedonian believers, they had clearly been impacted by divine grace. They knew the joy of being the recipient of God's abundant and generous grace. And the only way they know how to respond to that is with abundant generosity. And what, what makes the Macedonian example even, even more amazing um, is their circumstances. Did you notice what, what Paul said here? They were experiencing extreme affliction, extreme poverty. Now, th- this is rock-bottom poverty. This is not, you know, you or, I, you or I, you know, struggling to, to pay our rent every few weeks um, or, you know, don't have enough money to, to go out for dinner this weekend on a Saturday night. This is, these guys are in extreme poverty. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but it's first century Palestine, right? So it's probably not going to be pretty. It's probably going to be a lot tougher than any sort of poverty um, we've ever experienced. Probably make Mount Druitt look like paradise, to be honest with you. Um, I'm just being honest. But who, who would have thought you would ever see a poverty-stricken church leading the way in giving? It's, un- it's unheard of, isn't it? A poverty-stricken church being an example of giving. But remember that, remember that theme running through 2 Corinthians? Strength through weakness. Remember that theme? That, that's precisely, those weak believers are precisely the vessels 
that God uses to display his extraordinary grace to the watching world. Weak vessels. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Macedonians were weak, poverty-stricken believers. See, they're living examples of God's power being made perfect in weakness. They really are. What a, what a beautiful, what a sweet example of that truth. For the Macedonian believers also serve as practical proof that true generosity is not reserved for those who enjoy an adequacy of means. Those who have abundant resources. You, when I finished, when I, when I came out of full-time ministry, um, about three, four years ago, I thought, all right, great. I'm not in full-time ministry, but you know, I can get a normal job now. I can make some serious coin so that I can give generously. And that, that is, that, that's my heart. My heart is to, I want to I give generously. Um, there's probably some selfishness, absolutely some selfishness mixed up in that as well. Um, some worldly thinking, I'm sure. Um, but my heart was to, to, to get, get a job that could make as much money as possible so I could give generously. And I sort of had it in my mind that it wasn't until I was in a decent income, you know, like 100K plus, that I'd seriously be able to be, be a, real, a real serious giver for the Lord. Um, this example from the Macedonians just turns that idea upside down on its head. And, and uh, you know, in God's grace and kindness, I, I don't make a lot of money. I make a heck of a lot less money than I thought I'd ever make. Um, and, uh, and I think that's God's kindness to me because I don't think I'm a sort of guy who can probably handle a lot of money um, because, because of my heart and my temptations to worldliness, um, to hoard it, um, to spend it on myself. That's, that's unfortunate what I'm liking. God's kind not to, not to give that to believers who can't handle it. And I think I'm one of them. Um, but this example of Macedonia shows that you, you cannot have a lot. You can be struggling to pay rent, which I sometimes have. You can be struggling to put gas in the car or petrol in the car, um, which, which in, in the past I, I, I have. But you can still give generously. Um, so, you know, if you're, you're in this church and, and, and you can resonate with that, you know, life's tough right now. Um, you're not making a lot of money. This is a, this is a darn hard city to live in, one of the most expensive cities in the world to live in. Uh, you know, beautiful city, but it's an overpriced city. Uh, it's tough to live here, particularly, you know, if, you, if you're starting up. And I know there's a lot of you guys starting up in your families, um, trying, to, trying to make a living for yourself, trying to set yourselves up financially. And the temptation can be to, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be as tight as absolute possible. Can I encourage you that by this example, that, that it's actually you guys who could actually lead the way in giving in this church. Um, if, you would, if you would tap into that, the resource of, resource of God's abundant grace. There's no reason why, why you guys can't actually lead the giving in this church, lead by example um, in this church in giving. So that's, what, that's another um, example the Macedonian church um, gives to us that I want, I want you guys to see in that. You see, the most generous givers are often the ones with the least resources. Why is that so? Why is that so? It's not a general rule of thumb, but it can often be the case. I think it's because, precisely, because God's power is made perfect in weakness, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Don't miss out on how God could use you in this way to encourage others in this church and to spur others on in this church to give abundantly. In pointing to the grace of God at work in miraculous ways in the midst of the Macedonian church, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, and to us here in Sydney today, take heart. This same grace that you're seeing in these believers, 
That same grace is available for you, Corinthian Church, and for you, members of Sovereign Grace Sydney. That same grace is here for us to experience as well in our giving. Chapter 9, verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What a, what a sweet promise. Believe in that promise. Trust in that promise. If you, if you have a desire to be generous and you step out in faith and you give sacrificially, even though you don't feel like you have the resources to do so, this verse should remind you here that God will look after you. He'll be able to make all grace abound to you, whether that's financial, uh, whether that's morally, ethically, whatever it needs, whatever it takes, whether it's practically, he's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let that encourage you. Let that strengthen you to step out in faith in this specific way. Our God is a generous God and and where His grace is genuinely experienced in believers' lives, the response will be similar to that of the Macedonians. We can't help it but to overflow with joy and generosity regardless of our economic circumstances. You know, Paul in verse 14 tells the Corinthians that their abundance at the present time should supply the needs of others. If we've been honest, we probably have a heck of a lot more in common with the Corinthian church than we do in the Macedonian church, right? You see, God has blessed us uh, in Sovereign Grace City, in this, in this city, in this part of Sydney even. He has blessed us. We are a wealthy and a prosperous church. We really are. Um, we have been entrusted with, with great resources, unimaginable resources. We live in the, the wealthiest time in history, in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, in one of the wealthiest cities in the world and in one of the wealthiest parts of the world. What a privilege. And I don't say that as a negative thing. That's, a, that's God's goodness and kindness and blessing to us. But what a... Wow, what, that's sobering too, isn't it? What a, what a responsibility we have to steward those resources in a way that is generous, in a way that is abundant in a way that sees the gospel go forward. And and that's my heart for this church. Um, He's blessed us in this way so that we might be generous towards God, first and foremost, um, and also to others um, who who need uh, that sort of help. And, you know, at the vision of this church, it's no secret, is we'd love to see more churches planted out of out of this church around, around the city and around Australia in years to come. What if we do church plant um, in a place like Mount Druitt where they, where they struggle, where you've got a lot of single mums, broken families who are on government uh, handouts um, trying to get by? You know, it's churches like us who have been blessed who are going to support churches like that. And may, and may God use us uh, to plant churches in those parts of Sydney and in other parts of this country that struggle financially. We don't want to just church plant in, in areas that are, you know, that are prosperous. But, but I tell you what, he's blessed us right now. So let's, let's think through how we can be wise stewards of those resources for years down the, down the track. Just like the believers in Sovereign Grace churches 
in the United States started giving 30 years ago to Sovereign Grace Ministries. May we start giving now to this church and other organizations, family and church like Sovereign Grace and other places we feel led to so we might be able to, to bless others down the track and see the gospel go forward in other churches. So that's a response um, to God's divine grace. Thirdly, giving is sacrificial. In verses 1 and 2, Paul has succeeded in highlighting the generous outworking of God's grace in the lives of the weak, poverty-stricken church in Macedonia. But now in verse 9, Paul draws the Corinthians' attention to a far superior and far more generous outworking of the grace of God, the ultimate example of giving. If you think the Macedonian example was good, you, you wait you see the example of the God-man Jesus Christ hanging on a cross for the sins of the world, giving everything he has. That's what Paul's saying here in, in verse 9. And it's central. Verse 9 is central to the whole two chapters on giving, chapters 8 and 9. Verse 9 is central to, to these chapters on giving. And nowhere is both the generosity of God and the cost to God more evident than in the sending of his son, Jesus, into the world. Look at verse 9 again with me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his generosity, might become rich. Do you, do you, do you taste, do you hear the sacrifice in that, the cost in that? When the late designer Giovanni Versace was asked about his religious positions, he once commented, I believe in God, but I'm not the kind of religious person who goes to church, who believes in the fairy tale of Jesus, born in the stable with a donkey. No, I'm not stupid. I can't believe that God, with all the power that he has, had to have himself born in a stable. It wouldn't have been comfortable. You see, as unfathomable as it may seem. And it really is. The incarnation is a mystery in some ways. It's how do we get our heads around that? God, 100% God, becoming 100% man. But Jesus in his self-imposed poverty, this is exactly the path that, that God chose, God the Father chose for him. And he did it at great cost to himself. He voluntarily, Jesus voluntarily left his eternal position of glory by the Father's side in heaven completely rich. He, through whom all things were made, John chapter 1, took on flesh and dwelt amongst us, born into a rough and dusty first century Palestine, assuming the role of a servant and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. No one ever existed who was richer than Jesus was. And no one who has ever walked this earth became poorer than he was. You see, reading through the gospel accounts, it becomes, it becomes pretty obvious straight away that, you know, Jesus isn't born into wealth. He's not born into a wealthy, a wealthy family. Um, he learned a trade. His father was a, was a, was a tradie. Um, Jesus uh, became a tradie as well. He became a carpenter. Um, but one thing to note is that he always seemed, most of the time, uh, to have a roof over his head, didn't he? He always seemed to have clothes to wear, 
he always seemed to have food to drink, or food to eat, sorry, uh, water to drink, and even wine to drink. He wasn't a beggar. Jesus wasn't a beggar. We can overstate his economic poverty. We want to be careful not to do that. He wasn't a beggar, but he certainly lived a very minimalistic life. Um, But you see, it's not Jesus' economic poverty that Paul has primarily in mind here in verse chapter 9. Rather, it's Jesus' spiritual poverty. Likewise, the riches that we experience as a result of Jesus' self-imposed poverty is not financial prosperity, but rather the riches of a spiritual nature. If you thought I was about to break out into prosperity doctrine, um, prosperity gospel, I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's not going to happen. Prosperity gospel is a lie. It is not a gospel at all. The riches that Jesus talks about, or Paul talks about, sorry, in verse 9, are primarily salvation itself and the incalculable blessings of the new age involved in our salvation. Some of these riches we are experiencing right now, like sort of a down payment or a deposit, but the full measure of these riches that Paul talks about in verse 9, we won't experience until Jesus returns and what a sweet day that'll be. And then the grace of God that Paul refers to in verse 9, he's talking about God's love for us demonstrated in concrete saving action on our behalf. God's love demonstrated in concrete saving action on our behalf. You see, Jesus is the greatest gift we will ever receive. Amen? You agree? Absolutely. If you're here this morning and you don't see that, I want to I encourage you to to read, to read this Bible. Um, start, start at 2 Corinthians or start at, start at Romans chapter 1. Read this Bible because sooner or later you'll work out by the grace of God that Jesus really is the greatest gift that you could ever receive in your life. And if you would, if you would confess your sins, if you would repent and turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can have eternal life. You can enjoy the spoils of these riches that Jesus has earned for us and that we have coming to us in the time to come when he returns. You can be partakers of that amazing grace. So I would encourage you, please, come and speak to me afterwards. Come and speak to to anyone else in this church. But I, I urge you, consider, consider Jesus Christ and what he's done for you in hanging on that cross in your place for your sins so that you could have a relationship with the God of the universe. Consider Jesus. The guts of what Paul is trying to say here in verse 9 is that if we have been freely given such an inexpressible gift, as he says in chapter 9, verse 15, how can we not respond by giving freely and with abounding generosity as well? How can we not help but to respond that way if we've been impacted personally that way. That's, that's the guts of what Paul is trying to say here in these chapters, and particularly in verse 9. But before you get too excited, let me warn you, there is a cost that comes with giving generos- generously like Jesus. There is a cost. Take another look at verse 9. It says, We are made rich by what? By His poverty. It came at great cost to Jesus, cost to himself. A theologian, Colin Cruz, 
has said in his excellent commentary on 2 Corinthians, he said, we must never forget that it's only by his poverty that we might become rich. There was a price to be paid for the blessing we enjoy in Christ. Included in that price was a cost of the incarnation of the pre-existent son into a fallen world. But as we know, the cost of the incarnation, great though it was, was only the beginning. There was also the cost of rejection, ridicule, persecution, betrayal and suffering, all culminating in the agony of Gethsemane and the cross. These things together made up the full price of our salvation. If you want to be generous like Jesus, it will cost you. Generous giving involves sacrifice. I'm not going to lie to you. It does. Let me ask you this question. When you give, when you give, whether that be online, electronic transfer from your net bank, or taking the money out of the ATM before a Sunday meeting, or writing a check. No one really writes checks anymore, do they? But when, however which way you give, when you give, does it hurt some? Does your giving hurt? When you hit transfer on your internet banking, and that stings a little as you see that, that number leave your account and head into Sovereign Grace Ministries, Australia. If you feel the sting in that, that's a good pain. You know there's good pain and bad pain, right? We want to avoid bad pain like broken arms, broken legs, um, working out in CrossFit uh, <laughs> too hard. Um, so that you have to be put in IV. We want to avoid that sort of pain. That's not the sort of pain that we, that we want to experience. We run from that pain, right? This, this pain, right? The pain, the sting of when you transfer that money, that's good pain. Don't run from that because that means that there's, there's something going on. There's sacrifice taking place. That's what that sting is. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, we read the story of a widow who gave at great cost. It's a sweet story. Let me, just a few verses, let me read that out. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through to 44. And he, that is Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. You see, even though the widow's financial contribution would have been far less than those rich givers, the wealthy givers that Jesus talks about, that Jesus was watching, as far as Jesus is concerned, she gave far more abundantly because her giving came at great cost to herself. You see, it was sacrificial 
in nature, it would have stung her. It would have hurt. The rich people gave a much larger sum of money, but they did it comfortably out of their abundance and Jesus just, he wasn't impressed. He wasn't impressed with their wads of $100 notes um, being dropped in that offertory box or whatever currency they had in that time. Um, He wasn't impressed with that. The widow put in everything she had, everything she had to live on. And, you know, this is the sort of sacrificial giving that resembles what we see in the Macedonian churches, doesn't it? And it's the same kind of sacrificial giving that we see at Calvary. (laughs) And it's also the same kind of giving that's required of us, that Jesus requires of us. When Jesus hung on that cross, he too gave everything, everything that he had. The cost to himself was immense. It's a kind, this is the kind of cost that Paul is calling the Corinthian church to. This is the kind of cost that Jesus also calls us to emulate. But let me be honest. We, if we're going to give like that, we need divine grace because in and of ourselves, there is no way on earth, no way on earth that we're going to be able to give with that level of sacrifice. And what you see in the Macedonian churches, what you see in the lives of these widows, that was a special grace you're witnessing there, guys. That's a special grace. If God calls you to give like that, at that level of cost, you can be rest assured that there will be grace for you to do that. He might not call us all to give at quite that same level, at quite that same cost, but we're called to emulate that sacrificial nature of giving. Paul also calls us, though, to give according to what we have, not according to what we don't have. You must must remember that as well. In verse 11, he says, So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. And then again in verse 12, he says, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Christian giving is estimated in terms not of quantity, but of sacrifice. Christian giving is estimated in terms not of quantity, but of sacrifice. Let that truth sink deep into your heart, deep into your soul. God's not concerned about the number we give. He's concerned about our heart attitude in giving. He loves a cheerful giver who gives of his own free will and sacrificially. How would you honestly evaluate your heart attitude towards giving? Are you giving sacrificially so that it hurts or comfortably out of your abundance? Can I just say, if you you are aware of greed and selfishness in your heart as, as I've been preaching this message. Firstly, you're not alone, okay? Studying this scripture, studying giving, I, I've been convicted of, of, of a deeper level of, of, of selfishness and greed that I didn't see before, but that's a beauty of scripture. It illuminates our hearts, doesn't it? But if, you are, if you're struggling right now, if you feel, if you feel a burden, um, if you feel your sin, um, I, just, I want to encourage you. Um, I want to encourage you that there is good news. Christ 
died for that greed. Christ died for that selfishness. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. As far as the east is from the west, so far have your sins been removed from you. Do not let that guilt tie you down. Confess that, that sin. Confess your, your greed. Confess your selfishness. And receive the free grace that the gospel offers. The gospel offers, I'm sorry. And let, let the truths of the gospel uh, impact your heart. Let, let the waves of grace wash over your soul. Those waves of grace that come again, wave after wave, set after set, pounding over your head. Wash yourself with that grace. Because the most generous givers are almost always the ones who have been most impacted by grace. A mature and deep understanding of grace compels you to give and to give generously. Even to beg for the opportunity to give towards whatever will see the gospel go forward, whatever will see God's kingdom advance for his glory in this city, in this world. So if you want to grow in giving, you don't need to go out and look for a better job. Uh, that's not the answer. You don't need to go and sell your house, sell your car, sell everything you have, move back in with your parents. I don't recommend that. <clears throat> as much of a blessing as that can be, and we are grateful. <laughs> we are grateful for the baby boomers and, um, and, the, and the lovely houses that they've provo- God has provided them um, in His goodness and kindness. But you don't need to do that. You don't have to get a new job. You don't have to sell everything you have. You don't have to tighten up your budget. Rather, let me encourage you to get better acquainted with the gospel. Better acquainted with the gospel of grace. Study the doctrines of grace. We have an amazing bookstore at the back there. If you, if you read those, even half those books like Chris Page has, had, has read, you know, there'll be enough grace to fuel, for you, fuel you for the rest of your life. You know, study the doctrines of grace and let those gospel truths wash over your soul. And, and you'll see a difference in your heart attitude towards giving. There'll be a joy that is unexplained that you never had before. There'll be a cheerfulness and there'll be an abundant generosity and God will provide for all your needs as you give generously to, to this local church, to other organizations that are seeing the gospel go forward in this city and on this globe. Free and sacrificial giving flows only from divine grace. May God give us much grace as a church in this area. That's my heart. Let me pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you that you are such a generous God. You have blessed us with so much prosperity. You have blessed us with houses, cars, apartments, jobs. You name it, Lord. You have blessed us materially in so many ways but help us oh lord help us be good stewards of these resources and we're so aware that we need your grace apart from your grace we are incapable of giving generously we are incapable of giving abundantly we need your grace we need to be affected by divine grace 
because free and sacrificial giving flows from none other but your wonderful, abundant, sacrificial, divine grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.